Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in sultry Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure, Season 4 in American Tragedy. I'm your host, your friend, your ear lover, and literary mansplainer-in-chief, Michael Ian Black, just returned from the snowy prairie of Minnesota, although it was not snowy. There was no snow, but I like to imagine that when I go to Minnesota in winter, it is snow-covered and dazzlingly white, but it was in fact a kind of a dull grayish brown color. Everywhere one looked, the fields were barren, the trees bare, the sky gray. So, you know, I'm projecting a fantasy of my Minnesota trip onto all of you, as this is most likely the Christmas or just post-Christmas episode And there was some merrymaking in Minnesota. I was visiting my in-laws, the kids, the wife, and myself, trundled our delicate selves to those hearty climbs and somehow managed to survive the cold. Although, just as it was not that snowy, it was not that cold. The, The temperate temperatures, however, did not prevent me from complaining bitterly about the cold that I was experiencing, which was considerable. That's not unusual for me. As of late, I'm always cold. It is an affliction most commonly associated, I feel like, with old people and middle-aged women. I am not quite old, nor am I uh, quite a woman, but I am probably as close to both of those things as you can get without crossing the boundary over. I don't know if it's the savannah climate or what, but my blood has just thinned to the point where I can no longer deal with temperatures below, let's say, 74 degrees Kelvin. And it has been, uh, you know, a challenge to stay warm anywhere. I'm always 
cold and it's frustrating to me. Now you might be saying, well, Michael, you don't have enough body fat on you. And maybe that's the case, but, uh, you know, what am I going to do? Eat more? Come on, grow up. So we were in Minnesota and it was a fine time. You know, there was, there was Christmas cookies and, and a, a blazing fire in the hearth at one point, uh, and Qdoba, some in the Q in Qdoba, you know what that stands for, right? Quality. I just made that up, but, but if you're a Qdoba executive listening, feel free to use it. I enjoy myself some Qdoba. If you don't know Qdoba, which I, I think everybody knows, but what? Do, but I, I don't know. It's, it's just basically, it's Chipotle. The only difference is the guacamole is free. And that is a, you know, that's quite a difference when you're a guacamole lover like I am. So we just got back last night around midnight, spent some time greeting the dogs who were overjoyed to see us. We had been gone three days. It may as well have been three years. They were delighted by our company, us less so by theirs. And just because it was late and it's hard to deal with excited dogs at midnight or later. Finally, we calmed them down. We got into bed. We fell asleep. Awoke in Savannah and made my way down to the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, where I am recording this episode for you, my holiday gift to all of you, which is really no different than what I do every week. That being said, we are in a moment of peril in in American tragedy because Clyde Griffiths has essentially admitted his own helplessness in the face of the bewitching Hortense Briggs. He's, he basically told her, you know, she's been, she's been giving him the runaround this whole time, and she has basically promised herself to him in exchange for a coat, but then she goes off to this fabulous inn with all of Clyde's friends and their gal pals, and they find themselves dancing, and then Sparser, one of Clyde's friends, you know, he, he's got the eye for Hortense just as surely as Clyde does, and Hortense finds herself with an eye for him. And it's a problem. It's going to be a problem. Dreiser ends the chapter by saying, Sparser's eyes were upon her, he was intensely drawn to her, and she liked him more than anyone she had recently encountered. Well, who, who else has she recently encountered? The guy who brought her, Clyde Griffiths, who was expecting some kisses, because she, she promised him some kisses. She says, oh, you, I'll kiss you after a while when the others aren't looking, if you'll be good. You know, she's just stringing him along. It's gross. Anyway, let's pick it up, shall we not? Chapter 18 in American Tragedy. The climax of the afternoon was reached, however, when after several more dances and drinks, the small river and its possibilities was again brought to the attention of all by Hegland, who, looking out of one of the windows, suddenly exclaimed, What's the matter with ice down there? Look at the swell ice. I dare this crowd to go down there and slide. Oh, they're going to go sliding on the ice. You know, these, 
these poor uh, Midwesterners, they, they don't have ice skates. They just got to slide around like fools, you know? No hockey skates between them. They were off pell-mell, Ratterer and Tina Kogel running hand-in-hand, Sparser and Lucille Nicholas, with whom he had just been dancing, Higby and Laura Sipe, whom he was finding interesting enough for a change, and Clyde and Hortense. But once on the ice, which was nothing more than a narrow, winding stream blown clean in places by the wind, and curving among thickets of leafless trees, the company were more like young satyrs and nymphs of an older day. They ran here and there, slipping and sliding, Higby, Lucille, and Maida immediately falling down, but scrambling to their feet with bursts of laughter. Who the hell is Maida? We've got we've got Radder, we've got Tina Colga, we've got Sparser, we've got Lucille Nicholas, we've got Higby and Laura Sipe and Clyde and Hortense. But who the hell is Maida? I'll set it aside for the moment. I don't think it matters. And Hortense, aided by Clyde at first, minced here and there. But soon she began to run and slide, squealing in pretended fear. And now, not only Sparser, but Higby, and this in spite of Clyde, began to show Hortense attention. They joined her in sliding, ran after her, and pretended to try to trip her up, but caught her as she fell. And Sparser, taking her by the hand, dragged her, seemingly in spite of herself and the others, far upstream and about a curve where they could not be seen. Well, what, what do you think's going on around that curve? I can only imagine, but I, I bet it involves some curves of Hortenses. <laughs> you know what I mean? Booby curves and hippie curves and buddy curves and such. Determined not to show further watchfulness or jealousy, Clyde remained behind. But he could not help feeling that Sparser might be taking this occasion to make a date, even to kiss her. She was not incapable of letting him, even though she might pretend to him that she did not want to. It was agonizing. Yes, I imagine it would be agonizing for Clyde Griffiths. Look, let's, let's, let's be honest here. The sooner Clyde gets out of Hortense's, uh, what, clutches, the better off he will be. But I, I fear we're coming to some sort of perhaps violent climax with Clyde and Sparser and Hortense in the middle of it, probably feeling delighted at the rivalry existing for her affections. In spite of himself, he began to tingle with helpless pain, to begin to wish that he could see them. But Hegland, having called everyone to join hands and crack the whip, he took the hand of Lucille Nicholas, who was holding on to Heglin's, and gave his other free hand to Maida Axelrod. Okay, so Maida Axelrod is with them. I don't, you know, it's hard to keep track of all these gallivanting teenagers, you know? They're like packs of wild animals. You see them everywhere you go. They're in the mall. They're at the Arby's. I mean, they're just, you know, cavalcading wherever they find perch. It doesn't make any sense to say somebody is cavalcating wherever they find perch. That just doesn't make any sense at all. But yeah, I think you understand where I'm 
what I'm trying to say, they're just everywhere. These packs of teens, and you can't keep one straight in your head unless you yourself happen to be a teen and interested in the teenage goings-on of those around you. Maybe they're a little bit older. Maybe they're late teens, early 20s, something like that, you know, but you know what I mean. They're basically adolescents. And Higby and Laura Sipe were about to make up the tale when Sparser and Hortense came gliding back, he holding her by the hand. What the hell? I mean, they're not even making a pretense anymore. Sparser's just holding her hand. The hell? Now they tacked on at the foot. Then Hegland and the others began running and doubling back and forth until all beyond Maida had fallen and let go. And as Clyde noted, Hortense and Sparser, in falling, skidded and rolled against each other to the edge of the shore where were snow and leaves and twigs. And Hortense's skirts, becoming awry in some way, moved up to above her knees. Ho, ho, ho! But instead of showing any embarrassment, as Clyde thought and wished she might, she sat there for a few moments without shame, and even laughing heartily, and sparser with her, and still holding her hand. And Laura Sipe, having fallen in such a way as to trip Higby, who had fallen across her, they also lay there laughing, and yet in a most suggestive position, as Clyde thought. He noted, too, that Laura Sipes' skirts had been worked above her knees, and Sparser, now sitting up, was pointing to her pretty legs and laughing loudly, showing most of his teeth, and all the others were emitting peals and squeals of laughter. I mean, it's almost like they're laughing at him, is it not? It's almost like all their merriment is actually derision, aimed squarely right between Clyde's beady little eyes, like they're pelting him with little BBs of scorn for his impotence and lack of manly assertion. That seems to be what's going on to me. Well, it's certainly going on in Clyde's head, no doubt. Hang it all, thought Clyde. Why the deuce? Oh, now he's cursing. Why the deuce does he always have to be hanging about her? Why didn't he bring a girl of his own if he wanted to have a good time? Yeah, what about Maida? Why isn't he with Maida, for God's sake? I don't even know who Maida is. Maida Axelrod. Why doesn't she go off with Sparser? Well, you can't deny the effect of Cupid's arrow once it pierces the breast. You know what I mean? Cupid shoots his pretty little arrows wherever he sees fit, and by gall, you're going to get struck if you're going to get struck, and there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. And I apologize for my own salty language, but Clyde started it by saying, why the deuce? What right have they got to go where they can't be seen? And she thinks I think she means nothing by all this. She never laughs that heartily with me, you bet. What does she think I am? That she can put that stuff over on me anyhow. He glowered darkly for the moment. But in spite of his thoughts, the line or whip was soon reformed and this time with Lucille Nicholas still holding his hand. Oh, okay, so I guess hand-holding is not quite as uh, salacious as maybe I thought it was, because he's got Lucille Nicholas' hand in his, and Sparser and Hortense at the tail end again. 
But Hagland, unconscious of the mood of Clyde and thinking only of the sport called, better let someone else take the end there, hain't ya? Hain't ya. H-A-N-H-A-D-N apostrophe T-C-H-A. Hain't ya? <laughs> I, I, uh, might, I might try to adopt that into my own language. Hain't ya? And feeling the fairness of this, Ratterer and Maida Axelrod and Clyde and Lucille Nicholas now moved down with Higby and Laura Sype and Hortense and Sparser above them. Only, as Clyde noted, Hortense still held Sparser by the hand. Yet she moved just above him and took his hand, he being to the right, with Sparser next above to her left, holding her other hand firmly, which infuriated Clyde. Why couldn't he stick to Laura Sype, the girl brought out here for him? And Hortense was encouraging him. So I'm trying to, I'm, I guess I'm trying to imagine exactly what they're doing here. I think they've sort of formed a line on the ice, you know, everybody in front of everybody else and holding hands and sort of slip, slipping and sliding all over the ice in a kind of a conga line, an icy conga line, and then tripping and falling and getting tangled up in a mess and showing their knees inappropriately, I might add. In my day, we didn't show knees until we were married. Anyway, let's take a little break. Back in a moment, here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure, and I hope there aren't children in the room for all the sexiness going on with these adolescents. It's like an episode of Euphoria, for God's sake. And I'll be honest, I've never seen Euphoria. I have no idea what it's about, but I, in my head, it's about teens and horniness. But maybe it's more than that. I suppose it is, because everybody loves it. I haven't seen it. Whatever. Who cares? Who cares about me and my television viewing habits when there is erotic play on the ice? It's erotic ice capades is what it is. There at the end with, these, with this band of horny teenagers and Clyde feeling very left out. He was very sad, and he felt so angry and bitter that he could scarcely play the game. He wanted to stop and quarrel with Sparser, but so brisk and eager was Hegland that they were off before he could even think of doing so. And then, try as he would, to keep his balance in the face of this, he and Lucille and Ratterer and Maida Axelrod were thrown down and spun around the ice like curling irons. Spun around on the ice like curling irons. And so in my mind, a curling iron is a thing that you use to curl your hair. Well, why would you be spun around like that? Unless they mean something like curling stones, in which do spin on the ice. But why... Why would you spin a curling iron? I don't know. I'm assuming that's just a, uh, an anachronism I'm not quite understanding, and that's fine by me. Well, you know what? I'll, God, by deuce, I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look up curling iron, of all things, and 
see if there is something about a curling iron that spins, spin like a curling iron. What, is, what, is, what the heck does that mean? I'm on the research machine, of course. I've cranked it up. I'm ready to go. And uh, I've got a rotating curling iron. I've got, you know, this is, this is going to be impossible. I might even just go skip to the second page. Let's just see. Because I'm not getting any helpful results here. What is the name of the curling iron that spins? Well, that's a T3 Twirl 360 curling iron, but I don't think they had that back in Dreiser's day. I don't know what I don't know what they're talking about. One of you certainly knows, but that person is not me. Back to the book. And Hortense, letting go of him at the right moment, seemed to prefer deliberately to hang on to Sparser. Entangled with these others. Oh, I see what they're doing. When they say a whip, I see what they're doing. So they're kind of running and gathering kinetic energy, and then the front of the whip, I think, sort of gathers torque and flings the end of the whip about so that they go careening across the ice, you know, like the way a whip cracks. And that does seem like fun if you don't have osteoporosis. So, I lost my place. Uh, I don't know, curling irons. Ah, entangled with these others, Clyde and they spun across 40 feet of smooth green ice and piled against a snow bank. At the finish, as he found, Lucille Nicholas was lying across his knees, face down, in such a spanking position that he was compelled to laugh. And Maida Axelrod was on her back, next to Ratterer, her legs straight up on the air, in the air, on purpose, he thought. She was too coarse and bold for him. And there followed, of course, squeals and guffaws of delight, so loud that they could be heard for half a mile. Hegland, intensely susceptible to humor at all times, doubled to the knees, slapped his thighs, and bawled. And Sparser opened his big mouth and chortled and grimaced until he was scarlet. So infectious was the result that for the time being, Clyde forgot his jealousy. He, too, looked and laughed. But Clyde's mood had not changed, really. He still felt that she wasn't playing fair. Here, here, Clyde. And so say we all. At the end of all this playing, Lucille Nicholas and Tina Kogel being tired, dropped out. And Hortense also. Clyde at once left the group to join her. Ratterer then followed Lucille, then the others, separating. Heglin pushed Maida Axelrod before him downstream, out of sight, around a bend. Ho oh, ho! Higby, seemingly taking his cue from this, pulled Tina Kogel upstream, and Ratterer and Lucille, seeming to see something of interest, struck into a thicket laughing and talking as they went. Even Sparser and Laura, left to themselves, now wandered off, leaving Clyde and Hortense alone. Well, now I guess a domino or two is going to fall. Let's see what happens. And then, as these two wandered toward a fallen log, 
which here paralleled the stream, she sat down. But Clyde, smarting from his fancied wounds, stood silent for the time being, while she, sensing as much, took him by the belt of his coat and began to pull at him. Giddy up, horsey, she played. Get up! My horsey has to skate me now on the ice. <laughs> gross. So gross. Giddy up, horsey. My horsey has to skate me on the ice. Ew. <laughs> I mean, Clyde, if that, if that doesn't end your interest in Hortense Briggs, I don't know what will. She thinks of you as nothing more than a brute creature with a few bucks in your pocket, you fool. Clyde looked at her glumly, glowering mentally, and not to be diverted so easily from the ills which he felt to be his. What do you want to let that fella Sparser always hang around you for, he demanded. I saw you going up the creek with, there with him a while ago. What do he say to you up there? Well, he didn't say anything. Oh, no, of course not. Well, there's the mailman. You know, we always got to wait for Teddy the mailman. We've got Teddy Dries, and we've got Teddy the mailman, and, you know, never the twain shall meet. But they both elicit a response. Me, in terms of literary enjoyment, Teddy the mailman, in the response of barking and howling dogs. He didn't say anything. Oh, no, of course not, he replied cynically and bitterly. And maybe he didn't kiss you either. I should say not. She replied definitely and spitefully. I'd like to know what you think I am, anyhow. I don't let people kiss me the first time they see me, smarty, and I want you to know it. I didn't let you, did I? Oh, that's all right, too, answered Clyde, but you didn't like me as well as you do him either. Oh, didn't I? Well, maybe I didn't. But what right have you to say I like him anyhow? I'd like to know if I can't have a little fun without you watching me all the time. You make me tired. That's what you do. She was quite angry now, because of the proprietary air he appeared to be assuming, and, I'd, and frankly, I don't blame her. I mean, yes, she's being rude. No doubt she is expressing interest in another fella. No doubt. But let's just be honest with ourselves here, Clyde. She prefers Sparser to you, and you don't. Owe, he, she doesn't owe you a goddamn thing, other than the $50 that she has uh, collected on her own behalf for the purchase of a little fur coat. And I'm wondering if she's regretting that now. Probably not, because she thinks she can handle the situation. She's manipulative. She's coy. She's conniving and coquettish. And Clyde does ha possesses none of her sophistication, nor familiarity with the ways of the world. Clyde, sadly, is guileless, and one cannot proceed in this herky-jerky world without some measure of guile. I suspect at the end of the day, meaning the end of this book, Clyde will be quite cunning himself. And what do we think? Do we want that? Do we not want that? I don't know. I like naive Clyde. I like that he's an optimist, that his face is freshly scrubbed and his eyes are wide and his eyelashes peeled back. I like all of that about Clyde, and it hurts me to think that he's going to end up coarse, coarsened by this world. But isn't that what happens to us all in time? And now Clyde, repulsed and somewhat shaken by this sudden counter on her part, decided on the instant that perhaps it might be best for him to modify his tone. After all, 
She had never said that she really cared for him, even in the face of the implied promise she had made him. Oh, well, he observed glumly after a moment, and not without a little of sadness in his tone. I know one thing. If I let on that I cared for anyone as much as you say you do for me at times, I wouldn't want to flirt around with others like you're doing out here. Oh, wouldn't you? No, I wouldn't. Well, who's flirting anyhow, I'd like to know. You are. I'm not either. And I wish you'd just go away and let me alone if you can't do anything but quarrel with me. Just because I danced with him up there in the restaurant is no reason for you to think I'm flirting. Ooh, you make me tired. That's what you do. Do I? Yes, you do. Well, maybe I'd better go off and not bother you any more at all, then, he returned. A trace of his mother's courage welling up in him. Well, maybe you had, if that's the way you're going to feel about me all the time, she answered, and kicked viciously with her toes at the ice. But Clyde was beginning to feel that he could not possibly go through with this, that after all, he was too eager about her, too much at her feet. He began to weaken and gazed nervously at her, and she, thinking of her coat again, decided to be civil. You didn't look in his eyes, did you? He asked weakly, his thoughts going back to her dancing with Sparser. When? When you were dancing with her? No, I didn't. Well, not that I know of anyhow, but supposing I did, what of it? I didn't mean anything by it. Gee criminy, can a person look in anybody's eyes if they want to? And the way you looked in his? Not if you claim to like anybody else, I say. And the skin of Clyde's forehead lifted and sank, and his eyelids narrowed. Hortense merely clicked impatiently and indignantly with her tongue. Ugh, here we go again with the tss, tss, tss. If you ain't the limit. And a while ago, back there on the ice, went on Clyde determinedly, and yet pathetically, when you came back from up there, instead of coming up to where I was, you went to the foot of the line with him, I saw you. And you held his hand, too, all the way back. And then when you fell down, you had to sit there with him holding your hand. I'd like to know what you call that if it ain't flirting. What else is it? I'll bet he thinks it is all right. Well, I wasn't flirting with him just the same, and I don't care what you say. But if you want to have it that way, have it that way. I can't stop you. You're so darn jealous. You don't want to let anybody else do anything. That's all the matter with you. How else can you play on the ice if you don't hold hands, I'd like to know. Gee criminy. What about you and that Lucille Nicholas? I saw her laying across your lap and you laughing. And I didn't think anything of that. What do you want me to do? Come out here and sit around like a bump on a log? Follow you around like a tail? Or you follow me? What do you think I am, anyhow, a nut? <laughs> what do you think I am, a nut? Ah, <laughs> uh, these kids. She was being ragged by Clyde, as she thought, and she didn't like it. She was thinking of Sparser, who was really more appealing to her at the time than Clyde. He was more materialistic, less romantic, more direct. He turned, and taking off his cap, rubbed his head gloomily, while Hortense, looking at him, thought first of him and then of Sparser. Sparser was more manly, not so much of a crybaby. He wouldn't stand around and complain this way, you bet. He'd probably leave her for good, have nothing more to do with her. Yet Clyde, 
after his fashion, was interesting and useful. Who else would do for her what he had? And at any rate, he was not trying to force her to go off with him now as these others had gone, and as she had feared he might try to do, ahead of her plan and wish, this quarrel was obviating that. Now see here, she said after a time, having decided that it was best to assuage him and that it was not so hard to manage him after all. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Are we going to fight all the time, Clyde? What's the use anyhow? What you want me to come out here if you just want to fight with me all the time? I wouldn't have come if I'd have thought yours you were going to do that all day. She turned and kicked at the ice with the minute toe of her shoes, and Clyde, always taken by her charm again, put his arms about her and crushed her to him, at the same time fumbling at her breasts and putting his lips to hers and endeavoring to hold and fondle her. But now, because of her suddenly developed liking for Sparser, and partially because of her present mood towards Clyde, she broke away, a dissatisfaction with herself and him troubling her. Why should she let him force her to do anything she did not feel like doing just now anyhow, she asked herself. She hadn't agreed to be as nice to him today as he might wish. Not yet. At any rate, just now she did not want to be handled in this way by him, and she would not regardless of what he might do. And Clyde, sensing by now what the true state of her mind in regard to him must be, stepped back and yet continued to gaze gloomily and hungrily at her. And she, in turn, merely stared at him. Well, we'll leave it there, why don't we? As I say, a domino or two has fallen, but... um, Maybe just one. Maybe just one domino. They're doing this, what do they call it, a pas de, a pas de deux or something, you know? You circle around each other in a dance, and and uh, it's just not going great with the two of them. And it's hard to say what Clyde finds so appealing in her. But when you are young and male... Feelings of affection are so often commingled with feelings of lust that it is difficult to separate the two. And that, I fear, is what is occurring with young Clyde Griffiths. He is so betroubled and bewitched by his own, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Libido, that he is able to ignore all her flaws and foibles. And it is a shame because. You know, what's wrong with Lucille Nicholas anyway? Or Maida Axelrod or any of the other gals in his circle. But no, he has fixated on Hortense for whatever reason. Uh, He has succumbed to her wiles and charms. And he is helpless before her. We've all been there. Whatever our gender, whatever our preference in partner, we have all been there beguiled by some other person who expresses no such interest in us. I have certainly been there myself, sometimes in my own marriage. (laughs) But that's a story for another day. Listen, let's pack it up for the day. We'll call it an episode, and we will return on another spellbinding episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you... Adieu.
This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedren. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Ian Black, and get even more obscure content at our site, patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Thank you for listening.